0: Live from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, this is Open Line with Michael Radonik. Hello friends, welcome to Open Line. My name is Michael Radonik. I'm the academic dean and professor of Jewish Studies and Bible at Moody Bible Institute. I am joined here by this wonderful live audience right at The Chosen People Ministries Conference. It's called Finding Shalom, Peace in a Troubled World. We're at Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Now, normally you'd be calling with your questions, uh, but today we're not going to take phone calls. The questions will be asked by these terrific folks right here. We're studying the same kinds of questions questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. This is uh, the Bible study across America, and I am really grateful to be with you today. Our producer, as always, is Tricia McMillan. Technical aspects of this broadcast are being handled by Joel Swan here in Eden Prairie and Courtney Young back in Chicago. And uh, also, we have no one answering phones today, so don't call. We're really glad that you're listening, and I'm sure someone here will ask the question you've been wondering about. Before we even get started with questions, I want to let you listen, you who are listening, and the audience here know about our current resource. It is a classic. It's, I'm, I'm really excited about this new resource that we're offering. It's called Balancing the Christian Life by my former professor at Dallas Seminary, uh, Charles Ryrie. And this book is a book I read when I was a freshman in college. It was part of our curriculum at Moody, and it really helped establish me in my walk with the Lord. Uh, This is a great book for new followers of Jesus, and it also synthesizes and clarifies issues for people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. I find that we all get off on extremes, and what Dr. Ryrie does is he brings us right back to a balanced approach to walking with the Lord. I think it's a great discipleship tool. I still use it with new believers. It's a classic, and it's yours when you give a gift of any size to Open Line. If you'd like to do that and receive it, just call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org and remember ask for balancing the christian life when you call now we're going to get started with questions here's our very first question from our audience here at wooddale church i'm all from bloomington minnesota and what does it mean that jesus is god's begotten son he's not created Yeah, he's definitely not created. He's the eternal Son of God. I believe the concept of begottenness comes uh, in scripture from Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, a messianic psalm which predicts the coming of the Messiah, it says uh, that the Lord said to me, uh, You are my son. This day I have begotten you. And it, it sounds like, Oh, I've given birth to you or you began. However, It's a royal psalm. It's about an enthronement of a king. And uh, if you look at the ancient Near East, in Egypt, in various places, when Pharaoh became king, when they were enthroned, and this is important as we're listening, uh, today is the day that Charles, King Charles is being uh, crowned, right, coronated. It's his coronation day. Well, in the ancient Near East, it was declared that a person, when he uh, when he w- had his coronation, he was declared the son of God. But the word that was used was "I've begotten you." He was declared the son of God and begotten of God. It doesn't really mean "I gave birth to you" because he was obviously born, but rather declared the son of god it's an enthronement term it indicates coronation uh and particularly deity so uh in that culture to say uh you're the begotten of god it means you are the eternal god you have just taken your throne and of course when you think about the throne of jesus he. When is he going to take his throne? He's taken his throne. Right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He will take his throne on the throne of David in the future. So, and in the past, he's forever the Son of God. This is an eternal situation. He's been on the throne of God forever. So, therefore, this is sort of an eternal statement. He is eternally enthroned as God, God the Son. And so that is the concept. It actually has to do with coronation as king an enthronement as the son of god rather than giving birth to him okay of course that makes him i love at psalm 2 at the end this is really an important concept since he is the son at the end of psalm 2 it says this uh kiss or pay homage to the son lest he become angry and you will when you perish in your rebellion that sounds bad right if you're But then it says, blessed are all those who take refuge in him. There's this great offer that we can put our trust in him, take refuge in him, find protection in him, and that's how we'll bring joy and happiness into our lives, blessedness into our lives. So it's not enough to know that he's the eternally enthroned son of God. It's important to know that we need to take refuge in him, uh, first by putting our faith in him and then by living within his uh, w- walking with him as our King. So that's uh Psalm two. Yes.
1: I'm Linda from Ely, Minnesota. And I've been wondering when did Moses write the Pentateuch? Was he in Sinai, the wilderness? Did he have some of that knowledge when he lived with Jethro? I'm uh, just kind of wondering how he put that all together.
0: Yeah, me too. I- <laughs> You know, why did you think he had to get the 70 elders there with him and and that whole system of tens? of Because he was so busy writing the Bible. You know, I write books, and I know I can't find any time. I can't imagine what it would be like to be writing books in the wilderness, right? Uh, People knock on his door, Moses, we have a question. He says, leave me, it's my writing time. (laughs) Uh, I think that he probably was writing, there are different segments when uh, he was writing, when he had direct revelation, and he would write those things down. Also, there were probably other times when uh, he had resources of some sort, things that he may have remembered uh, from his upbringing, from uh, uh, Jacobed. Uh, You know, he was raised in in a nice Jewish home, even though he was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. So he must have had some materials that he had from that. I think oral traditions that he had received from uh his family about abraham isaac and jacob and then he wrote these down as they were traveling i think there was a song uh by keith green that you know so you want to go back to egypt do you remember that song It was a long time ago but he says what moses sitting around writing the bible well that's exactly right that's what he was doing so as he found time he wrote i think different segments and by the end of his wilderness wanderings that's when he put it together. And one of the things that's really important when we read the Pentateuch, this is not just the daily journal of Moses. Uh, it's really clear that there is structure in the Torah, in the, in the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses. It's really one book. And it's kind of interesting because it follows a structural pattern. There's story or narrative followed by uh, a poem followed by an epilogue. And it it follows this structure four times through the Pentateuch. So you can go Genesis 1 through 48. That's the story of creation and the patriarchs. And then chapter 49, you've got this poetic piece by Jacob when he blesses the twelve uh twelve sons, and then chapter fifty, the death of Jacob and Joseph. And that's the epilogue, and that's the structure. And then with Exodus, you start the narrative again. You get the, the Exodus narrative, the story of the departure from Egypt. You have the Song of Moses, and then you have traveling to Sinai as an epilogue. And this continues through the Pentateuch. And so you have narrative, poem, epilogue. And why is this important? It shows that Moses took all these materials that he was writing and structured them in a very clear way to lead us to the end of the book, uh, which has a double poem by Moses, the two songs of Moses, and then the epilogue, which is the, the, the death of Moses at the end, and the, the reminder to keep looking for the prophet like Moses. So that's, that's the structure of the book, okay? Thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: Hi, I'm Aaron from Rogers, Minnesota. question is from Zephaniah 3.9. What is the pure language
2: or pure, pure speech? Could it be Hebrew?
0: Yeah. <laughs> the language of heaven don't you think uh, uh, i often wonder what was the original language before the the tower of babylon right where they all were broken up i'm guessing they were all speaking hebrew because that's what adam and eve were speaking in in genesis right actually we don't know that's how moses wrote it i don't know what the pure speech is uh, I have a lot of jokes that Russian Jews used to tell. I won't tell them on the radio about the, about learning Hebrew versus uh, speaking Russian. I won't repeat them. But uh, the, there was so much oppression in Russia, they were really looking forward to the language of heaven in the land of Israel. And so when they were trying to get out. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the language of heaven is, but uh, or the t- original language, the Ur language. I would guess it, it may, may have sounded a lot like Hebrew if it wasn't Hebrew okay yeah hey we're gonna take a break here and when we come back we're going to take more of these questions from this wonderful live audience here in eden prairie minnesota my name is michael this program is called open line and it's our bible study across america so keep listening because there's more questions coming up straight ahead we'll be right back Soda at Wooddale Church, the Chosen People Ministries, Finding Shalom in a Turbulent World, in a Troubled World. Uh, That's what this conference is about, and uh, we have a live audience here. They're asking the questions today, so there's no need to call. We're going to go right back to questions right now. So step up to the mic. What's your question?
2: I'm David Johnson. I actually know the answer. I wrote this for others. What is a completed Jew? (laughs) And there's two of them sitting at the table.
0: Okay, I am a completed Jew. Uh, That's a term that some people use. It's actually a reactionary term uh, because so often Jewish people have been called, who come to faith in Jesus, in Yeshua, we are called converted Jews. And the problem with the word converted is for Jewish people, that means that I've converted from being Jewish and I've now become a Gentile. And that's not true. I will always be Jewish. In fact, my faith is now complete because Jewish people are looking forward to, I was raised to look forward to the coming of the Messiah. And now I understand the Messiah has come. My faith is complete. I've put my trust in Yeshua. Uh, I once heard someone say, uh, I've converted from my sin, not from being Jewish, and it's no sin to be a Jew. So uh, yeah. that that's uh, one one approach, and some people call or some call messianic Jews call ourselves messianic Jews, uh, some call ourselves fulfilled Jews, some people say we are Jewish followers of yeshua there 's all sorts of terms that we use, but the term that we stay away from, if we can, is converted Jews because that is different it, 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 when Jewish people hear it it's, it says something different than when other people hear it we here, we cease to be Jews, and that will never be the case. Uh, God made us Jewish, and our destiny as Jews that makes us uh, uh, complete in our, in our uh, faith is faith in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And so that's, that's why we use those other terms.
2: May I put in a plug for Marty?
0: Yeah, put in a, Marty gets us here.
2: I've uh, heard him many times at yeah. Community Bible Study, where Tom Berkowitz always dragged him in here. Yeah. And uh, I've got several CDs, and I'll be shocked if he doesn't have cds to sell out
0: there okay there we go they, <laughs> they're going to sell cds for marty Getz. marty gets is my friend everyone listening on the radio uh marty gets is my friend for oh 35 36 years and i was just noting that he'd never listened to open line before <laughs> and uh this is my really good friend is all i'm saying okay. so anyway thank you marty for doing that and thanks for the plug we're By gonna the go way, i'm not getting a commission okay good thank you
1: Hi, I'm Nancy from Waukesha, Wisconsin. So I guess this is another language question here, but in John 21, when Peter and Jesus are talking, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? And the Greek words are agape and phileo, denoting different levels of love. In the original language, you know, maybe Hebrew or Aramaic, what would those words be, do you think, for agape and phileo?
0: Let, let me just say that the only thing we have to interpret are the Greek words. And so uh, I am a firm believer that we ought not to try to go back to the Aramaic words that might have been spoken. That happened in the events there. But what, what is inspired, what is revel- inspired revelation is the written text. You know, it doesn't say that those events were inspired. It says all scripture is inspired. Or God breathed. So we're gonna stick to those words. Now, what I will tell you is this. In John twenty one, uh this is actually one of my favorite passages, because it gives hope to all failures like me, because Peter really failed. How many times did he deny the Lord? Three times. Peter always had to do everything in threes. You know, how many times did he have to be told to eat later on when he had that vision of the unclean animals? Three times. He's just a three-time kind of guy. it took a lot to get into his head. Well, anyway, uh, he denied the Lord three times. And then three times he's asked, do you love me? And each time he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. I love you. And a lot of people want to make a big deal that the Lord is using the word agape or agapao, uh, because that means unconditional love. And Peter answers with the word phileo, which means friendship love. However that is what those words meant in classical greek by the time you get to koine greek the language of the new testament they are absolute synonyms there is no difference and so all those sermons you may have heard about agape versus phileo they were misinterpreting those words Uh, but there is significance because three times the lord asks peter do you love me? And three times he's given an opportunity to affirm his love for the Lord after his three right. denials. Remember what he does? He's, he's seen the risen Lord. He says, I'm going back to where I used to be. Uh, and he, he goes back to being a fisherman. I'm going fishing. He leads the other disciples with him. Remember, he was the one that Lord said to him, I will make you fishers of men. And now he's going back to being a fisher of fish. And the Lord looks at him and says, do you love me more than these? A lot of people mistakenly understand him to be pointing at the other disciples. Do you love me more than them? Does that sound like the the Lord Jesus? I'm going to compare your love to the other disciples. No, he's pointing at the fishing boat, at the nets. Do you love me more than all these accoutrements of fishing? And three times Peter gets to say, I love you. And then each time he's commissioned, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, shepherd my sheep. What is he doing? He's restoring him to ministry after his great failure. That's, it's a great passage, but it has nothing to do with the words agapao and phileo.
1: Thank you so much. I'm Stephanie from Maple Plain, Minnesota. I have a family member who struggles to accept that God designed a system or a reality where we are destined to be born sinful and we must ask to be saved. He likens it to throwing a baby in the pool and expecting them to ask for help. The idea of our free will being essential for a love relationship doesn't satisfy him because he says God set it up that way and he gave me my rational mind to question this and to struggle. I think that he hasn't been overwhelmed by God's goodness so he can trust God's sovereignty and his plan and so i pray for him but do you have an answer for this confusion that he has
0: okay, just clarify again mm-hmm. what's his objection that that
1: god set up this system so i'm born sinful and i have to accept forgiveness or request forgiveness okay, he, he, he agrees it's a free gift salvation mm-hmm. is offered to us but why did god set it up this way
0: did you ever think that god didn't set it up this way i don't know well think about yeah. it Uh, He created Adam and Eve, told them, don't eat from this Mm -hmm. tree over here. You can eat from every other one. Uh, And they opted not to listen. And that's how the system got started. Mm -hmm. Uh, So God's intention was for them to obey him. Uh, However, they didn't. And as a result we all sin in Adam. He, he's our, our head. He's our leader. He's the one that voted for us to be sinful. Right. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't know that would happen because the scriptures say that Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So before the first brick was laid in this world, the Lord knew what they were going to do mm-hmm. and knew he was going to plan a redemption uh, for us. But, you know, it was not his desired will for Adam and Eve to sin, and yet they did. And as a consequence, we sin. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, I guess it's all a matter of perspective. If you're going to think, I don't want to believe this, I don't want to trust in this, we'll say, oh boy, this is a bad plan that God has set up. However, if we think I am desperate and I am drowning and God has given me a life preserver here and he has planned this life preserver from eternity past and he wants me to grasp a hold of it uh, and he's going to even as, and this is what's really amazing is he opens our hearts to believe just like he did with lydia in act 16 uh how is it uh th- that that's how as uh, there was a movie i saw count of monte cristo how is this a bad plan it seems like a good plan however i know the response well if god has to open my heart for me to believe this uh he needs to give me the enablement divine enablement to believe then just like in Romans 9, well, why does he still find fault with those who don't believe? Who can resist his will? And I don't have the answer for that. When I read that in Romans 9 the very first time, I was like, wow, I'm really going to get the answer I've always wanted. And then then the next verse says, who are you, O man, to talk back to God? And the the answer God has about his sovereign plan for opening hearts and uh, choosing and predestining and all that is... uh, don't talk back to God. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so, pride
1: comes into play.
0: Yeah, yeah. But God opens our hearts and we trust in him. And uh, it's sort of a mystery, I believe, how those two factors work together. Our responsibility to believe, but God opening our hearts and enabling us to believe. Uh, but I think amazingly, you know, maybe I would suggest for your friend, have him read The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Mm. Uh, I just listened to, I recently listened to The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe on Audible Books. And the reason I did it is because some students told me that they think of my wife and I on campus as Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And so <laughs> I thought, I got I to go back and listen to that. <laughs> but the thing is, when you, you hear Aslan's willingness to take uh, Edmund's sin and, and go through that humiliation, and take the punishment that he deserved. I don't believe that, you know, the deep magic is that we are owed to Satan, the ransom to Satan view. But I just would say to your friend, look at what the Lord Jesus did and maybe take it out of the Gospels and put it in the Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. And maybe he'll get a grasp about Mm -hmm. God's great love for him, for this plan. Mm -hmm. Okay?
1: Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hi, my name is Kevin from Austin, Minnesota. And I'd like to know how far different are the original boundary lines of the promised land from the modern-day borders of Israel.
0: They're really different. I can't give you miles. But I will tell you, uh, the biblical boundaries as found in Genesis 15, as you go north, they encompass uh, Lebanon, Syria, and most of Iraq. So that's how far it goes up to the north. It goes down just about where it is in the south, it encompasses Gaza, which is uh, no longer governed by Israel, but it, it goes all the way to the River of Egypt, or the Wadi El Arish, down by El Arish, Egypt in the northern part of the Sinai Peninsula. And uh, that's by Kadesh Barnea, that, that's uh, as, as you head eastward. So I, I wish I could show you a map on the radio, but I can't. But uh, it goes from there, and it encompasses all the way up north. It's much bigger than than what... Israel ever has been, even in the times of David and Solomon, which tells me that one of the reasons we have to have uh, confidence that God is going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant is so that those boundaries can be fulfilled, uh, which have never been fulfilled. So when God, God promised Abraham a land, a seed, blessing, all those things must come true. When the Lord Jesus returns, he will establish a kingdom with those boundaries for Israel. Okay. okay. Okay, we're going to go one more question. Let's see if I can answer it. Right. Then we have Good morning. Mm-hmm.
1: I am Carmen. I was born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. I'm a Texas midget. Oh. And my question is, God has chosen the Jewish people as his special people, the chosen ones. And I was wondering,
2: after hearing the different testimonies that I've heard the last couple of days, how can we pray for the Jewish people uh, from our heart, not just, mm-hmm. you know, Lord, bring them to yeah. salvation, but well, to really pray?
0: I would say Romans 10.1 is the only example of praying, evangelistic praying in the whole scripture, and it's for the Jewish people. It says, where Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. So uh, we can pray for God to open hearts among Jewish people. We can pray for God to raise up, uh, genuine, godly followers of Yeshua, of Jesus, to be near them, uh, that they would have opportunities to talk, that they would, take, uh, they would be bold yet sensitive when they talk. Those are all specific prayer requests that we can mm-hmm. pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Today, in this time of anti-Semitism, we can pray for the, God's protection and preservation of the Jewish people. Uh, we can also pray for ourselves, that we would meet Jewish people, and God would give us opportunity to boldly yet sensitively speak with them and that God would open their hearts. That's what I would say. Well, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit with Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. I might ask him that very same question, but we'll see. Uh, my name is Michael Roy Dunlick. We're in Eden Prairie, Minnesota at Wooddale Church at the Chosen People Ministries Finding Shalom Conference. Stay with us. More questions coming up straight ahead. right here at wooddale church eden prairie minnesota the chosen people ministries finding shalom conference this program is called open line my name is michael wrightelnick today i would say don't call it's the only day you'll ever hear me say such a thing uh we usually ask you to call with your questions but today we're not taking questions instead we are taking questions from our live audience here Uh, before we get to the questions, I want to talk with uh, our guest, the sponsor of Open Line and this conference, uh, the president of Chosen People Ministries. But before that, I wanted to remind you that Bob from Orlando, this is something you may not have heard, uh, he became one of OpenLine's kitchen table partners. And I am so grateful for Bob because, uh, and all our kitchen table partners, uh, they are people who commit to give a gift once a month. Uh, to help keep Open Line on the air once a week. We talk about your questions about the Bible. And... uh As a result of that, the decision to become a kitchen table partner, Bob will start receiving a special digital Bible study, an audio Bible study that he'll get in his email every other week. It's something I prepare exclusively for kitchen table partners, and they get to have about a five to seven minute Bible study in their email every other week. It's a real great joy for me to do that. I'm grateful that we have that special time in the Word together. And just wanted you to know that if you're uh, finding Open Line helpful in your walk with the Lord, if you're growing in your understanding of Scripture and how to uh, live according to the Scriptures, uh, then maybe you'd consider becoming a kitchen table partner too. All you have to do is call uh, Open line number. Here's the number 888 644 7122, 888 644 7122, or go to Open Line Radio. Dot org and you'll see the link there i hope you'll consider that and now i'm going to introduce my friend dr mitch Glazer, president of chosen people ministries i'm not going to give you a big introduction i'm just gonna say thank you eleven years now you have had uh, open line underwritten by chosen people ministries from the very first week we were on the air and i want to say thank you you're welcome michael it's been more than a privilege thank you now why in the world would you do that that's the question i always wondered. <laughs> Well, it helps us raise money. Yeah, I know, know,
2: that's it. (laughs) (laughs) The main reason we did it was because you asked and because I love you and you've been my friend and co-laborer in ministry for many, many years. But to have a Jewish believer as the voice for um, answering Bible questions that Christians have and knowing that biblically and theologically, you would make sure that people understood the important role that israel and the jewish people play in god's ongoing plan and you would emphasize jewish evangelism and all the themes that we love and have shared together for so many years was just like a little bit of a dream michael mm-hmm. i mean to have you as our voice was just fabulous and so we praise god for moody and we praise god for you
0: well i, th- I i'm really grateful and you know i think one of the most amazing things is moody And you know this, but maybe our audience doesn't. I am the fifth Jewish studies professor at Moody. So that must be like 10 years. But no, I've been there 30 years. But the Jewish studies program at Moody Bible Institute just this year is celebrating its 100th anniversary. 100 years of Jewish studies. So it wasn't really hard to think about Moody uh, having those themes. Moody Bible Institute has had a great heart for Jewish people, always concerned theologically. In, in fact, when it's a, it's a fairly small major, people don't know that. They think there are hundreds and hundreds of Jewish studies students. But the, it's, a, it's a small major. It's had a great impact for Jewish ministry, I believe, as you look at the people. But Well, I started uh,
2: counting how many missionaries who have worked with chosen people went to the Moody Jewish Studies program. I stopped counting at 200.
0: Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, it's had a great impact, and I'm really grateful to God that I got to play a little part of it. But when I interviewed, the provost said to me, he's the head of education at Moody, he said, this would be a good time to shut down the program. Did you ever wonder why we're not? And I'm like, uh, no. I think, why am I here for this interview? And uh, he said, because we have a, a biblical, theological, and practical commitment to reaching jewish people
2: absolutely and it was wonderful to be part of the celebration at the missions conference to have a whole missions conference Mm -hmm. uh, at moody bible institute dedicated and focused on jewish missions was one of the great privileges of
0: my life yeah it was it was great loved it thank you for being there and And the food was good the food was really good so now uh It's the first time at Moody, I think they had Jewish food for things, but anyway. uh, Bagels for all. Bagels for all, exactly. Uh, Let's talk about this conference. It's called Finding Shalom in a Troubled World. Yes. Why would you choose this theme?
2: Because uh, we're living in a a very fractured, uh, divided uh, uh, world right now. Unfortunately, it's also impacted the church, and it's global. We just did a conference like this in the U.K., Mm -hmm. because they're having the similar problems and uh, also in Australia Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that the answer to our uh, lack of unity the answer to our being divided within ourselves and within our families and churches is the Prince of Peace and so we want to focus on the peace that we can have not only peace in our own soul but of course peace with God Mm -hmm. peace with one another and a peace within the greater body of Messiah, because that unity was supposed to be, according to John 17, was supposed to be a testimony of the very nature of God. And so it's vitally important that we have peace with ourselves and peace with one another so that the world can see that God is indeed true and Jesus is the Messiah.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. I get to preach tonight on one of my favorite passages at this conference. It's, uh, I'm speaking on Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. about finding peace or shalom through the Prince of Peace. So I'm I'm pretty excited about that.
2: Yes. Uh, Well, that was my choice,
0: Michael. I know. Yeah, I I didn't have any choice. Uh, We have a question here for us.
1: Hi, my name is Gay Rieger, and I'm from Savage, Minnesota. And I I would love to hear both of you share how you came to Messiah, how you found him.
0: Wow. Well, I'm going to just say that I did a whole program. I th- what date was it on? If people want to go back and listen to the podcast, I think it was like April 17th or 15th or something like that. Uh, you can go back to the podcast in mid-April. You go to MoodyRadio.org uh, and, and you can find the podcast. And because it was, it was a rebroadcast actually from last year, it had, uh, we took over an hour uh, because it was my 50th per- spiritual birthday last year when I did that program. So we rebroadcast it. And uh, actually, Chris Fabry from Moody Radio came on and, and interviewed me about how my, about my whole faith story. And so that was pretty exciting. So I've been a follower of Yeshua for 51 years. Quickly, my parents were Holocaust survivors. I never dreamed I would believe in Yeshua. And uh, when I was confronted through the Chosen People Ministries, Brooklyn director, a woman named Hilda Kozer we argued the scriptures. I wouldn't say we studied them. We fought over the scriptures, but through her explanation of Messianic prophecy, I became convinced that Yeshua was the Messiah and became a follower of Yeshua when I was in high school. It was uh, the broadcast, by the way, I just heard in my headset. It was April 8th. There we go. So you can go back and listen to that.
2: Well, I was raised a good Jewish boy, became a bad Jewish boy after my bar mitzvah went to college, dropped out of college, all before I was 17, majored in unregistered pharmacy and minored in marketing. And then <laughs> and then, I went, then I went, like all good Jewish boys, I went out to San Francisco looking for, for truth. No flowers in my hair, but it was long. My two best friends betrayed me and became believers in Jesus. I tried to talk them out of it and lost. And so I read a New Testament that I found in a phone booth in the middle of the redwood forest, and discovered unbelievably that Jesus was Jewish. I thought he was the chief of anti-Semitism, and uh, I fell in love with Jesus and accepted Jesus, and tra- he transformed my life. And like Michael, I'm a 51-year veteran of the of the spiritual warfare. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you know, I just, I just, I just watched, uh, for the second time, Jesus Revolution. A- and, you know, I, I was just, well, the first time I saw that movie, I was thinking about, you know, I was on the East Coast, not on the West Coast, but how many... You were much younger. I was much younger, uh, better looking too. Uh, but, <laughs> no, uh, I, uh, I was am- amazed when I started thinking about how many people in Jewish ministry came to faith in that period between 1967 and 1973 which was sort of the Jesus revolution period and it was you and me and my friend Larry out in California and uh our friend Jan Moskowitz and Bruce Goldstein and and there were so many of us uh that went to Jewish ministry so that that movie didn't really hit the revival among Jewish people the revolution but it was there
2: yeah uh you know, my interest in, in church history, and Messianic Jewish history, every time there's been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, people have been drawn to the scriptures, and actually uh, the role of Israel and the Jewish people in God's plan has become prominent, and a lot of Jewish people have become believers in Jesus, so whenever you see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if there are Jewish people around, Jewish people, are being, hit them too, Jewish right? people are being touched. <laughs> it happened between World War I and World War II in Europe, and it happened incredibly, uh, during the uh, early ni- late sixties and early seventies and so whenever there is a movement of the Holy Spirit, Jewish people get saved, so yeah. pray for a movement of the Holy Spirit yeah. And there's a big one coming, according to Romans 11. So we're going to see the best yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg Laurie was on a Moody radio program and a Jewish believer I know who also is a product of the Jesus Revolution. She called up and said, how come you didn't mention all the Jewish people that came to faith there at Costa Mesa and all that? And he said, forgive me, we were just kind of focused on what happened there at that time with me so uh but uh he, he then he laughed and he, he acknowledged that there was even then in california uh, the backstory of that movie was there were many jewish people who came to faith even there Well, so a
2: lot I, of the leaders of the modern messianic movement in israel came to faith outside the country during the jesus movement yeah and i remember my first trip to israel in 1976 there may have been a half a dozen congregations. Today, there's probably between 150 and 160. And I mean, this is the ongoing fruit of the Jesus movement.
0: Yeah. then that's how you know it was a real revival because it has ongoing fruit. So let's ask uh, Jason, why don't you come up and see if you have a question. Jason Rose is, I'm going to give your last name. I think it's okay. Is it not? Yeah. Jason Rose is a former student of mine. (laughs) <laughs> who graduated from Jewish Studies and serves with Chosen People Ministries. So my question is, uh, since you lead tours to Israel, uh, yeah. what's the most theologically or biblically significant site, in your opinion? Well, oh, I would say uh, the Temple Mount, the uh, Western Wall. I don't usually go on the Mount because it's a little bit uh, uh, touchy. But I, I think the Western Wall... what people used to call the wailing wall. It's not the wailing wall, the Western wall, the supporting wall of the Temple Mount. Uh, I think that's the most significant because uh, God said, well, that's where uh, on that Mount is where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. Uh, It's where when the temple was built, the spirit of God, the first temple, the spirit of God was the Shekinah, the presence, the Shekinah glory was present there. Ezekiel 10 describes its departure before the Babylonian conquest. Uh, But Ezekiel also talks about the day when the temple is rebuilt in the Messianic kingdom, when the the Spirit of God will be present there again. Uh, And so it is a remarkable place, the Lord Jesus. A lot of people say, well, you know, now that you believe in Jesus, it wouldn't matter because... Uh, you know, we are the temples today, you know, and I think there's a sense of truth. doesn't matter where you worship. We need to worship God and spirit and truth. But Amen. it says the Lord Jesus had zeal for his father's house. He cared about it. Do you have a quick one minute answer of your favorite place to take people?
2: You know, what I usually say about the garden tomb is that if it wasn't there, it was like there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I'd say taking communion at the garden tomb, which is a part of many tours, is still, for me personally, the most meaningful moment of my trips to Israel. I highly recommend you come to Israel. Mm -hmm. You can go with Michael Rodelnik, or you can go with Chosen People (laughs) Ministries. Take your pick.
0: I don't care how you go, just go. That's what I think.
2: And I hope that you get to take communion at the Garden Tomb. It's so incredibly powerful.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a really exceptionally uh, special place. I agree with Mitch. Uh, What's your favorite place? Uh, My favorite place is uh, Capernaum, actually, because Ah. of the significance of the beginning of the Messianic Jewish followers of Jesus. It's the oldest site where you can see uh, a Jewish community of fellowship. Yeah. That's the hometown of Jesus, and it's also that some go to that synagogue there, and they think that may have been actually a Messianic Jewish synagogue, not necessarily a traditional synagogue. So that's that's pretty amazing. We're going to come right back with more questions in just a moment. You're listening to Open Line with Michael Reidonik, and that was Mitch Glazer uh, on the program with me. glad you stayed with us this is open line with michael Wright elnick you know one of the most frequent questions i get uh on open line is how should believers think about the jewish people that's a lot of the questions we've had today because of this chosen people ministries conference well uh people want to know what does it mean that god chose the jewish people what's the significance of that well chosen people ministries underwrites open line one of the sponsors of this program, and we're really grateful for it. And they are offering a free book that will help you understand God's plan for the Jewish people. It's called Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus. Uh, The book explains God's promises to the Jewish people and what they mean today. For your copy of Israel, the Jewish People, and Jesus, just go to our website, openlineradio.org. Scroll down, you'll see a link that says a free gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that. And you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of Israel, the Jewish people, and Jesus. And we're going to have a question here. Uh, Who are you, miss?
1: (laughs) My name is Tricia. I produce Open Line. (laughs) And you went out to the break. I have a question for you. You went out to the break saying Jesus' hometown was Capernaum. And I said, wait, 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 what? What? I thought his hometown was Nazareth. He
0: was born in Nazareth.:
1: He was born in Bethlehem.
0: Born in Bethlehem, raised: yeah, in, yeah right. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Uh-huh. So that was his hometown in that sense, but when his public ministry began, he switched over to Capernaum and lived in Capernaum. Oh, OK. And so uh, it, when you go into Capernaum, there's a sign that says the hometown of Jesus right there. But it, it really wasn't his hometown so much as his adopted hometown born in Bethlehem. Right. I, I remember that. Okay. okay. Raised in Nazareth, but adopted Capernaum as his hometown.
1: Hi, I'm Lisa from Richfield, Minnesota. With the interfaith dialogue happening in the world, how do we make sure we as Christians are not being deceived, but that we are following the truth of the Lord?
0: Well, I think interfaith dialogue is great. You know, uh, one of the things that I believe about interfaith dialogue is that we should always express, if we're interfaith, we should be able to express what we believe as well. Listen carefully to people. Uh, I always think that one of the best things we can do when we're dialoguing about interfaith, instead of telling people, you know, that, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's probably not what I would do in an interfaith dialogue, but I would look for every opportunity to tell my faith story. Mm Mm-hmm how it is that I came to faith, Uh, what it was that God did in my life, Uh, how he worked in my life, how it is that I came to believe in the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and how he forgave my sins. And the reason I would do that is it's interfaith, and it's a dialogue. You want to hear my part? I'll listen to yours. And uh, uh, hopefully that would, as we talk about what God has done in our lives, when we dialogue, people will be challenged and want to hear more uh, apart from the dialogue so that's what i would do uh if i were engaging in a faith dialogue it, w- it would be to learn what people think to learn how they feel but always looking for an opportunity to tell my faith story as well
1: yes thank you
0: mm-hmm. okay here we go
2: linda from minneapolis uh we have some acquaintances friends who are russian jews uh, English is the, their fifth language. They're extremely intelligent, sophisticated people. Do you have any advice on how to share with people who are rather intimidating but ah. very dear?
0: <laughs> oh boy. Well, uh they you don't don't be intimidated. They're they're just people. And uh I think they Russian Jews were raised in atheistic culture. Yes. And they would they would like to experience a real god the thing that i do is uh when i talk to anyone but particularly jewish people uh i i do something i call raising the flag i'll i'll mention something that god has done in my life if i'm friends with them i can talk about what god is doing in my life they're talking about their lives i might say that I, you know someone was ill i prayed and god was working and provided this doctor and they're better or something that god has done that uh that i feel like just raise that flag uh god is uh if they're having a problem say can i pray for you Mm. something like that Mm. raise that flag and then as time goes by they'll want to hear more because they are searching for a real experience with god not religion not you know going to this place or doing that thing They can't hardly believe that there's someone who's experiencing God working in their lives. So keep raising those flags, and then as you have opportunity, tell your faith story, and before you know it, uh, they'll want to know more and more. Okay? Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Well, can't believe it. That's the first hour, but there's a second hour coming up on most of these stations. Remember, if your station doesn't carry open line, you can always listen online or with the podcast. During the break, check out our webpage, openlineradio.org. It's got all sorts of links that you'll like, how to ask a question or uh, uh, how to get our current resource or become a uh, kitchen table partner. When we come back, there'll be more questions from this great audience here in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Uh, where we'll be talking about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. <laughs> Open Line with Michael Redelna is a production of Moody Radio, the ministry of Moody Bible Institute.